Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. Joining us today is Liana Hoods, the director of the National Organic Coalition, and I'm thrilled to have you. Welcome, Liana. Thanks, Melinda. It's great to be here. Well, I met you, I think the first time was at the National Organic Action Plan meeting, just prior to the big organic agriculture meeting that's held every winter up in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And I was very much impressed by the mission of the National Organic Coalition and the activities that took place in putting together the National Organic Action Plan. So tell me a little bit first, how did you get to your position with the National Organic Coalition? Well, briefly, since a teenager, I've always grown food organically, and I trained really to be an environmental activist and found that as such, and I started an environmental organization, I was always battling against projects. And so at some point I said, I want to work for the type of community I want to live in. And I live in a rural area. I wanted to, to save farms because I wanted a community that has farms as a vital part of it. So I started to work with the National Campaign for Sustainable Agriculture, which worked on policy issues to support sustainable and family farm agriculture. Through that, I began to work on organic policy, and that's what led to the National Organic Coalition. And the coalition is really like this national alliance of organizations, right? Yes. It's an alliance of organizations who want a Washington voice for the sustainable and organic agriculture policy. And so what are some of the issues that you think are front and center right now? Well, there are several, there are many issues. Um, I think potentially the biggest is that whole piece that the National Organic Action Plan looked at, which is how do we advance organic agriculture because organic agriculture provides the solution to so many of our really important problems of environment and health today. And what we are really not looking at in the United States is a comprehensive agenda for advancing that. I totally agree with you. I think organic agriculture is the answer, not only for the public health aspect, certainly, but also the whole climate change piece and sequestering carbon. Indeed. In fact, recently, the National Organic Coalition put together a letter for the climate change legislation for the committees that were working on it that it really just documented all the data that was there to support the idea that organic agriculture really is a type of agriculture that sequesters huge amounts of carbon and is much better for the environment and also mitigates against the damage done by climate change in both flooding and drought. Uh, Organic soils react much more mildly to those extreme conditions. So it's a type of agriculture that will feed the world and mitigate against uh, climate change. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you brought that point up about feeding the world. Certainly, the Food and Agriculture Organization points to organic agriculture or agroecological agriculture as really the only method that can feed the world. And yet we consistently get messages, dare I say from the other side, that say, no, you know, organic agriculture, now that's very nice, but you know that can't feed the world. And I think 
Well, gosh, that's not what these global organizations that really look at agriculture are saying. And it's not what the data is saying. There are lots of studies abound, including uh, 25-year-long side-by-side, conventional and organic side-by-side studies done by Rodale Institute that really show that the idea that there's a yield drag from organic is just not true. In fact, uh, organic over time does have the ability to have at least equal yield, if not increased yield, depending on the crop and the climate. And it also provides a very uh, sustainable system for small system agriculture around the world in growing diverse foods to feed communities. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the point about the soil and flooding because a couple of years ago, maybe it was three, I don't know if you were at the, the Moses meeting, which is the Midwestern Organic and Sustainable Education Service meeting. It's, I, think, I believe it is the largest organic farming conference in the United States. And it's held in La Crosse every February. But the farmer of the year was highlighted for the fact that after these torrential rains they had up in Wisconsin, he did not have any erosion. And I thought, isn't that wonderful that we're celebrating a farmer for his or her ability to really be a a true good steward of the land? Absolutely, and that was an amazing, I believe he had slides of his farm during those droughts. Uh, during the floods, I'm sorry, and uh, it, it's really an amazing picture to see, and it is a proven entity now that organic soils just uh, have the ability to carry much more water, and so they don't flood. You know, you know it's interesting, Liana, even with all of this wonderful data that we have, the data that's in, I actually have the National Organic plan book here in front of me, and I've highlighted several pieces of it that we could talk about because I'm very excited about it, but it says that organic agriculture accounts for only 3.47% of the total U.S. food production, and I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, it continues to have a large percentage of consumer demand and growing despite the economic downturn. We're importing organic food from China. Why don't we increase the organic acreage here in the United States? That's the big question, and that's what we aim to look at in the National Organic Action Plan. One of the reasons is that we have been on a path in our agriculture policy since the Earl Butts years that that industrial agriculture is the way to go. And, in fact, even though we have a national organic program, that is has always been thought of as simply a marketing label. And we in the, in the United States, we do not, as a country, advocate for organic as a broader piece of what we, how we grow food that provides those additional benefits. In, in fact, the rest of the world, virtually every country with any organic commerce, has a national organic action plan in their country to advance organic agriculture in one way or another. They vary greatly. Sometimes they're only a page. And in Europe, there are extensive documents that look towards what policies can increase organic agriculture because in Europe especially, they are finding the, for instance, water quality solutions in organic agriculture helping them to not pollute their water. 
So it's a diff- it's a very different mindset. The, the U.S. does not want to advance uh, organic agriculture as better. It only advances it as a marketing label that has economic value. So we're the National Organic Action Plan project that we have worked on for the past five years really seeks to change that, to really push our government to, to move organic agriculture. I'll just give one example of the disparity in policy, and that is in the realm of organic research. First of all, I'll say organic research, the, the research into techniques on how to do organic better, if you think about it, is usable by more than just organic farmers. Many farmers would be interested in alternatives ways to grow and alternatives to, for instance, pesticides or herbicides that they need. If, if they could find out what those alternatives were, they would use them whether they're organic or not. Right. But organic research in 1990 constituted one-tenth of one percent of all U.S. research or agricultural research dollars. By 2000, I think it had grown to one percent, and I think we're at, in 2009, we're over 2%. So we're not quite 3% of the all the U.S. agricultural research dollars are spent on organic research. I don't understand why. I, since it is usable by everybody and an important information is needed by farmers on how they can find alternatives, but we spend that little, less than 3%. And that is an example of how little we invest in organic agriculture altogether in the U.S., and that's a problem. Well, and I think that we as consumers and healthcare providers need to help push that agenda because it really is to the advantage of future generations, not only from a climate perspective, but for a feeding ourselves perspective and certainly the public health perspective, I I can't imagine how anyone would think it's better to routinely spray fields with pesticides and herbicides that have unintended consequences. Absolutely. And one of the other things that this project did was take it out of the realm of being a, that organic is for the wealthy. We believe that we need to enhance the access to organic food for people of all income levels. You may not know this, but one of the fastest growing sectors of organic is in low income in the inner cities. Mothers are are spending their hard-earned dollars on organic milk because they don't want to have the hormones in the milk. That that is clearly a problem, especially for developing young women. And, And they're actually spending extra money on that organic Milk. We, one of our initiatives right now in the reauthorization of the uh, nutrition bill is is to allow WIC to be used, WIC dollars to be used for organic, oh. and we think that's a big a big push that we need to begin. Obviously, there's a problem there, which is that if you have to spend more for any particular food, you get less of it if there's only a certain amount available for WIC. But we believe that there's some solutions to getting there and to allow all income to be able to eat organic food. I agree with you wholeheartedly. In fact, I remember there had been some discussions on some of our nutrition and health listservs about this whole WIC issue. And when you think about the most vulnerable populations, like if I had to pick out the people who 
absolutely should be eating organic food without question. It would be women of childbearing years, infants and children. And who does the WIC, what do, Women, Infants and Children program, it serves low-income women and their children to help them be better nourished and prepared to be productive citizens. Who better to feed well than these vulnerable populations? And when I found out that the WIC coupons couldn't be used, um, and this is really nationwide, There's some, there may be some exceptions, but largely, it's, and it's because of the cost, you know, short-termism, right? Short-term yeah. thinking, because the cost was too much. And even, I think there have been studies that show that in not all cases does that even hold. That's true. And we also have some solutions. We've actually asked for an amendment to the Child Nutrition Reauthorization, and we may not be successful this time around, but there are some solutions. Nationally, the co-op grocers have said that they would find a way to make adjustments to the price if that if it was allowed for WIC dollars to be spent in their stores on organic food, they would find a way. I think that many solutions would pop up if this was simply allowed. We understand the, the problem with the dollar amounts and that there's only a certain amount available, but we I think we could do it if we made a commitment to it. I agree with you. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Liana Hoods, who's the director of the National Organic Coalition. Liana, I have to ask you this question because this comes up all the time, the question of, well, why does organic food cost more? Well, there are several reasons for that. One is that conventional food is subsidized by your tax dollars to be cheaper often. All those big subsidies go towards supporting other than organic agriculture. But also, organic agriculture is more labor-intensive, and there are several ways that that can be mitigated. But farmers also just deserve, all farmers deserve a fair price for their product, and I'm not they're not entirely getting that in the conventional system altogether. There, there's pressures on prices, there's contracts on contract growing in conventional food, and so the pressure is downward for farmers on conventional agriculture, and largely organic agriculture has in the past stayed out of that system of the contract growing. That's changing, and prices are coming down, but that is not necessarily what we want to see. We would like to see all of agriculture pay a fair price to the farmers and everyone in the food chain, and, I, and that is possible if we didn't have uh, spend lots of our tax dollars to support a subsidy system. Absolutely. And, you know, we waste a lot of food as well. And I think that that becomes part of the issue. You know, to look at food and to have respect for it and just to sort of have a different framework around food. And I agree with you. You know, I don't know any farmer that's really conventional or organic that's, you know, doing very well financially right now. All farmers deserve a fair wage, and all people deserve that right to a health-supporting food system. One of the pieces of that that's highlighted in the National Organic Action Plan is access to children in schools. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, that piece of this plan? Yes, absolutely that organic food should be made available for school, school lunches, for instance, well, and often breakfast as well. And schools have a really difficult problem in getting enough money to even feed their students 
the cheapest of food, but our priority should be on feeding our children very well, and we need to move for uh, school food to uh, have the choice of having organic. I believe there's also an amendment in the, in the, the current Child Nutrition Reauthorization Act that will give a pilot project for schools to try organic food. This is really important. I'll also say one other thing that came up a lot in what we did, lots of dialogues around the country asking people what their vision for organic was. And people said that the other part of the school piece for kids is that they need to learn about food. They need to learn about growing food and learn about growing organic food. And they felt that that would give children an ability to want that food and to uh, help their parents understand the value of organic food and also of how food is grown all together. You are so right. And, you know, I was spending a little bit of time last week looking at some of the different curricula that are available to schools and who's writing it. And I was very interested to see that the Farm Bureau has a big push on curriculum for children in schools and so does, you know, you, you can go to Monsanto and you can get some information on biotechnology. But I don't see a strong push towards having children learn how to question. They're told that the conventional or the methods that are used using pesticides or using biotechnology are good versus, you know, having the kids say, what are the unintended consequences of using the technology or using those pesticides? Are there any good pieces of curriculum that are going into schools promoting and helping children understand the benefits of organic agriculture? I believe there are, and I think it's more regionally and locally done. I believe that the, um, there's some coming out of the Northeast Organic Farming Association, and I think Moses has some curriculum development going on. Well, I think this is a this is really a critical piece of information because, and I think as parents, the parents that are listening, you know, any time your child is taught something in school or brings home something, find out where it comes from. You know, who wrote that? Who's telling this story and what pieces are missing? Right? I totally agree with the findings from your field work in finding that we must teach children the truth about agriculture and food production. Absolutely. In fact, actually, in our education component, we, people said that, they, that we need to teach it to everybody on every level, including in the universities. We need to have organic instruction and understand organic much better because we're not teaching organic agriculture. We're teaching whatever gets paid for, and it's really the industrial agriculture that has the money to pay for university university research to go on, and often it puts organic at a disadvantage. But that, So the education has to go on through the school system for our children and into the university level. Do we want to talk a little bit about the new pasture rule? Absolutely. One of the things that the National Organic Coalition has worked on is about the integrity issues around organic and helping the USDA, the Department of Agriculture's National Organic Program, be more effective to operate well. And often you hear about problems with the integrity of the organic label, and we believe it's about the process that the department needs to go through to really get on the right track, and they're doing that. And we found a lot of movement in the new administration to get procedures in place so that the 
organic label is what the consumer expects it to be. And one of those expectations was about whether dairy animals or all animals really were outdoors in pasture as they were being raised. And that's always been a component written into the organic standards, but it wasn't extremely well defined. And in previous administrations found difficulty in enforcing what is called a pasture standard. And that is that all animals need to be outside and with their natural behavior. And in the case of large ruminant animals, they need to be getting most of their food, if possible, from pasture. So just recently, the National Organic Program completed its multi-year work on a pasture standard that is very clear and does mandate that dairy animals are on pasture for a significant amount of their life and that no animal should be confined at all permanently in an organic system. And this is great news because that means that when you and I go to the grocery store and we see that organic label on a carton of milk, and yes, it might cost more, but we're getting so much more. We're getting, as you say, the integrity behind that label. We know that that animal has spent more time on pasture, and with that pasture time comes enhanced nutrients within that milk. So I I congratulate the National Organic Coalition for moving this issue forward and getting this done. Thank you, and it was done with the entire organic community. Many groups worked hard to bring this pasture standard to its fruition. It it was really a united effort. Liana, are there other issues that you want to bring up in our final few minutes? Uh, Yes. I would like to say that I would like to encourage everybody to get involved in one way or another in their food and how it's produced. And as we lay out in the National Organic Action Plan, that can, it often happens on the federal level, which I'll get back to in a minute, but also there are efforts in states and regions and local areas of all sorts of types of things you can get involved in, from making a phone call to working with your school and planting a garden. And I would love to see everybody who has an interest in this also always have one part of their brain attuned to what goes on in the federal arena in the National Farm Bill, which happens every seven years or so, and one is coming up in 2012, and we're beginning to work on it. There are lots of networks to get involved in where they will just send you an email or a letter saying, please make a phone call to your congressman and explain what's important to you about food. Uh, All your Congress members have some input, some more than others, but uh, you need to get involved. You can write to the National Organic Coalition, info at nationalorganiccoalition.org, and get on our list, but there are many other organizations. There's the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. You can just Google that and get on their network, which is a very big network of sustainable agriculture policy. There's also the Community Food Security Coalition that works on farm bill issues, and many more that you can just plug into and have, and then have a voice when you're needed to talk to your Congress member about policy. Every voice needs to be heard. It is a democracy, and that means that every voice gets to be heard, and we need people speaking up where they really have a passion 
So if, if it's organic food, that's great. If it's just local food, that's terrific. And if it's about nutritious food, however you see your interest in the food and agriculture system, please have your voice heard. That's a wonderful charge to leave us with in this National Organic Action Plan book. And I want to let our listeners know that this that these materials are all online. The National Organic Coalition has a fabulous website. You can go in and get policy priorities, position papers. Uh, you can click on ways to take action. It'll, they'll give you talking points. But if you go to www.nationalorganiccoalition.org, all of that is available for you. There's a quote in the National Organic Action Plan booklet that I want to share with our listeners. It says, the best protection for organic integrity is an educated consumer. And I would actually extend that to the best protection for our entire food system, our children's health, and the welfare of the planet is an educated consumer. So, Liana, thank you so much for your work at the National Organic Coalition Thank you for being my guest today. And I want to close by reminding our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. We've been speaking with Liana Hoods, director of the National Organic Coalition. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, Liana. Thank you, Willen.